I'll write down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul And their dog Ninja Hey guys, welcome to episode 285 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Well guys, this is going to be one of those episodes to where we're actually out of town. So we're going to use a Patreon episode that most of you have not heard yet. And I think you're going to absolutely love the story. And I'll tell you about it here in a second. First, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you for everything you do every day. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having our backs every single day. Keep them prayers going to y'all. Tracy, just because we're out of town doesn't mean that people aren't still struggling with things out there. Oh, I know it, honey. I know. We're going to make sure that we still get that in on this episode, that if you're struggling, doesn't matter. We are willing to talk to you. Absolutely. Call us. We don't care, you guys. Day or night, please reach out to us. We'll be happy to do it. I've had so many people say, they'll start off by saying, I'm sorry to bother you. Like somebody I was talking to the other night, I'm sorry to bother you Aww, on Christmas. Yeah. I'm sorry to bother you this late at night. I'm sorry to bother never you. Never a bother. Never. Never apologize. Ever. When we tell you guys, we want you to call if you need to talk, that doesn't come with stipulations. It's any time, day or night. That's true. And I don't want to sound gross, but you might not want to have Jerry sitting on the toilet. Unless you might have smell-o, smell a phone Now, not make... <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> and Tracy, if they'd rather talk to somebody a little more anonymous, what would they do? They would call 1-800-273-8255. You can also text 741-741. We love you guys so much, and we're always here for you no matter what. And obviously, you've got the group also. We tell everybody, look... We literally will have fifteen to 20,000 people listen to this episode the first three or four days it's out. And we've only got 5,300 in the group, which means there's plenty of room for the rest of you if you need some support. Yeah, of course. Join the group. And it's fun in there. It's not It's not all just people saying they need help with stuff. That's, that's probably 20% of it. Yeah. The other 80% is just fun it's yeah fun. it is it's so fun we've got a lot of funny people in there they right. are they're always putting funny memes or or something like that but that's what's wonderful about our group yep absolutely all right so let's talk about this story tonight we actually back in february and we had a request for this i know mm-hmm. rachel clarkson was one that she's like an authority on this and and she was excited that we were doing it but we did the donner party mm-hmm. and if you guys some most people are kind of semi semi familiar with the Donner Party. Of course, they know it involved some cannibalism, and yeah, it was it was back during you know the harsh times yeah. when people are traveling yeah. to the West for the first time. And man, this story 
it's unbelievable and it's got some paranormal to it it's but it's there's kind of some stuff at the end uh that we touch on but this this is more 90 percent tragedy mm. in the story than it is paranormal yeah but i think you guys if you're unfamiliar with the story i think you're going to be fascinated by it and it's just uh it's just one of the true american tragedies so yeah it sure is but without uh further ado Let's go ahead and listen to that. Now, we don't have any interviews this week, but this is kind of a longer story. Okay. So, uh, and it's actually one of my favorites that we've ever covered on Patreon. So, I'm glad to get to uh, share it with you guys. Oh, sounds great, babe. You are listening to the Hillbilly Horror Stories Patreon bonus episode. Please welcome your host, Jerry and Tracy Parley. Hey guys, welcome to the February Patreon bonus episode, 2021. Yay. Let's do it to it. Well, Tracy, I promised on, I think it was last week, on one of the Hillbilly Shorts that we would probably do the Donner Party Uh on an episode coming up, so... No better time like the present as we're snowed in. I know, and, uh, man. That what will be very up? fitting for this episode. Mother Nature is tripping. She is. She's straight tripping, boo. Shoo. All right. So if you're unfamiliar with the Donner Party, this will be a sad one because it's actually one of the more tragic stories of settlement migration to the West. Yes. We got to remember that not everything was as easy as it is today. I just hopping in a car, or hopping on a train, mm-hmm. or or even hopping on a plane, for that matter. That's very true. Well, John hop Candy, on, hop would, on a horse. John Candy would tell you different. And uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Steve <Best> Martin. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it was really tough. So this started on April sixteenth, eighteen forty six. There were nine covered wagons to start with. They left Springfield, Illinois. For a 2,500-mile journey to California. Oh, my Lord. How long would that take, even? A lot longer than what they thought it was going to take. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) James Reed was a local businessman. He organized the trip. His main goal was to make a fortune in California, but he also hoped that the West Coast weather would help his wife out, who was suffering from migraines. Oh, that's what they say if you go toward that area. I guess because it's not as humid, maybe, or what? I don't know. I have no idea. So the trip was doomed from the start, though. Although Reed, he had no clue it was going to be doomed, obviously. He, yeah. He was just going by some, some information that he had. But he had recently read a book called Immigration to the Oregon and California. And this book was by a gentleman by the name of Lansford Hastings. As you're going to find, is not a very good man throughout the story. So in his book, Hastings said that he had a shortcut across the Great Basin that would actually save you 350 to 400 miles, and it was on easy terrain. Well, yeah, that'd be awesome. Sure it would be. That sounds great. An excellent shortcut that had never been tested. In fact, the information was falsified, and this ultimately set the travelers up for failure. I wish you weren't a liar. Exactly. Reed's plan to travel out west was a really popular one, and soon several other families wanted to come along for the ride, so to speak. The group included the Graves, the Breens, the Murphys, the Eddies, the McCutcheons, the Wolfingers, the Kessiebergs, 
and the Donners, of course. Besides the families, there were also Teamsters that were going to drive the wagons and a couple of single men that didn't have families okay. come along. This initial group was made up of 32 men, women, and children. James Reed's family was made up of his wife, Margaret, and her 70-year-old mother, Sarah Keyes, and two hired servants. Sarah Key was so sick with TB, or as they called it back in the day, consumption, that she could barely walk, but she refused to be separated from her only daughter. So hmm. she was coming on the trip regardless. Yes. Poor thing. James Reed had done pretty good for himself, and he had a little bit of money. And for that reason, he had a top-of-the-line wagon. So check this out. Ooh, I want to know what a top-of-the-line wagon is. It had two stories. Oh. It was a two-story wagon that took eight oxen to pull it. It had a built-in iron stove, spring cushion seat, and sleeping bunks. Nice. How about that? It's a Mac Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Mercedes-Benz back yeah. there. Their 12-year-old daughter, Virginia, called it the Pioneer Palace Car. So technically, I didn't mention her earlier as being part of the family. I think because I was really only mentioning that, that their mother was coming at a consumption park, that they had kids and stuff that were coming too. So mm -hmm. Anyway, so they had their 12-year-old also with them. So the group figured that since all the wagons were new and that they had a shortcut, the trip should take about four months to reach California. Four months. Wow. The first stop was Independence, Missouri, which was pretty much a main jumping off point for anybody that was on the Oregon or California trails. George and Jacob Donner were brothers. George was a very successful 62-year-old farmer. Mm -hmm. The brothers were adventurous, and uh, the two had been to California before, and they were really eager to make another trip. George Donner brought his wife. Her name, believe it or not, is Tamzine. T-A-M-Z-E-N-E. -E. I've never heard that name. And it might be sure. Tamzine for all I know. But we're going to call her Tamzine, because I don't have to use it again, I don't think. <laughs> And they had their three kids, Eliza, Francis, and George. And then they had two children from George's previous marriage, Aletha and Leanna. So they had five altogether. Jacob brought his wife, Elizabeth, and their five children, George, Mary, Isaac, Samuel, and Louis, as well as Solomon and William Hook, who were Elizabeth's kids from a previous marriage. So Donners also brought two Teamsters. And a friend by the name of John Denter. Jacob had in his possession the book of Lanford Hastings with the shortcut in it. Ironically, Lanford Hastings left California the same day that the Donner Party left their home to go to California. So he left California I'll heading back. back towards them, and they left going towards California the exact same day. His intentions was to try out the shortcut for himself. Mm -hmm. It's very good that you wrote the shortcut in the book that you hadn't even tried yet. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. So they reached Independence, Missouri, three weeks after they left Springfield. They loaded up on supplies and then left the next day on May 12, 1846. They headed west in the middle of a major thunderstorm. Mm. A week later, they ran across another wagon team camped out at Indian Creek, which was about 100 miles from Independence. The wagon train was um, captained by a Colonel William Russell, and they would continue to add people along the way until they finally reached 87 people that was part of this huge wagon train, you know, heading out to California. The first of the big obstacles that the group encountered was a flood in Kansas at the Big Blue River. 
Now this was on May 25th and it held them up for several days. This is also where they had their first death of the trip, Sarah Keys, who passed away. Aww. From TV, obviously. Yeah. They buried her along the river. They had to eventually build ferries just to be able to cross the water. And now they were back on track. They followed the Platte River for the next month or so. Can you imagine if the kids were acting bad? If you don't behave, I'm going to turn this wagon around. (laughs) (laughs) For whatever reason, Commander William Russell, or Colonel William Russell, I should say, resigned as captain of the wagon team. And then a gentleman by the name of William Berg took over. And that really has no importance to what's the rest I was going to say, what in the world? What, why do you would do that? I mean, I don't know. He knew the trouble that was coming ahead, maybe? No, and he, he didn't no want to take the blame? He had no clue. Yeah. They arrived at Fort Laramie June 27th, 1846. And oddly enough, they were just one week behind schedule at this point. So this is the most important part of the story. At Fort Laramie, James Reed ran into an old friend named James Kleiman. Remember we said that uh, your boy hadn't even taken the path before he left on the exact same day. Yes. So he, when he left on this, this trip to take the shortcut, Kleinman actually came with him. So he had seen the shortcut for himself now. Mm-hmm. And so Kleinman runs in the reed at Fort Laramie and he says, Hey, don't take the shortcut. He said it was basically impassable. You could barely get by on foot, and it would be impossible with wagons to take that trail. He also warned him about the desert and the Sierra Nevada mountains. So these were going to be almost impossible. So Reed promptly ignored him. What the hell? Why would he do that? They took the shortcut to get to California more quickly. Man. Some Back others, in the day, even, still didn't follow directions. <laughs> Some others joined the, the wagon train at, at Fort Laramie. They were also met by a man who had a letter from Lansford Hastings at the Continental Divide on July 11th. The letter said that Hastings would meet them at Fort Bridger, lead them on his shortcut himself, which passed south of the Great Lake instead of going northwest through Fort Hall. So now they feel... So Northwest was the bad way to go. Yes. Now he's saying, I'm going to take you another direction. Well, he's saying, yeah, basically. So now there really was no more question about whether they should take the shortcut or not, because why would he offer to meet up with them and take them and show them if it was anything Mm bad? On July 19th, the group arrived at Little Sandy River, and this was the fork right here to where you had to decide whether you were going the regular way that everybody knew or take the shortcut. So now it's do or die time. Well, there was a difference of opinion. Of the majority of the group, though, decided that they wanted to take the safer path. Mm-hmm. So the group who went through the shortcut elected George Donner as their captain. So we're at the split, and the majority of the people said, yeah, we're going the safe way. We're not taking the shortcut. Yeah. Because they're smart. And the rest of the group elected George Donner as their captain, thus the Donner Party. That's where the name came from, and that's why, because he didn't become captain until they'd already made it at this point. They reach Fort Bridger on July 28th. But guess who wasn't there? Lansford Hastings, who was supposed to be there to show them the way. He left a note, though, saying that he left with another group, 
and when they got the note that they should go ahead and follow and try to catch up. The group now was kind of iffy. They're like, this dude's not here. Yeah. This is what we were banking on. But Jim Bridger, and who's there at the, the Fort Bridger, and Luis Vasquez, they said, look, the we know what we're talking about. The path is okay. You should go ahead and take it. So they decided to rest for a few days at the fort and then proceed. They made some repairs to their wagons and prepared for what they thought would be a seven-week journey to California. That's, that's where they're at now. The group left on July 31st with the McCutcheon family. The train was now up to 74 people and 20 wagons strong. They were averaging 11 miles a day for the first week, and on August 6th, they reached the Weber River after passing through Echo Canyon. So they're feeling pretty good about themselves right now. Mm-hmm. Apparently, 11 uh, or uh, yeah, 11 miles a day is pretty good. Here, when they got to uh, the Weber River, they had another note waiting for them from Hastings. He advised them not to follow them down Weber Canyon because it was impassable. He told them to take the trail through Salt Basin. So they're still following. At least he's leaving notes for them. I'll give him that. i like to know where he's leaving these notes where they'd find it. <laughs> well, what I want to know. Well, I'm sure there's little camps set up and stuff everybody along the way, like the forts that were set up. So most of the party camped, while James Reed and a few of the other men, they went on horseback to try to catch up with Hastings to try to get a little more information. They found them on the shore of Great Salt Lake. Hastings went back part of the way with Reed and, and the, the guys he brought out, and he pointed out a new path to take and said it would take them about a week to get where they needed to go. Mm-hmm. By now, the Graves family had caught up with, with the Donner Party, and now there are 87 people in 23 wagons. Now we're to the complete size that they would get to. 87 people, 23 wagons. They took a vote, and they decided to try the new trail rather than going all the way back to Fort Bridger and and backtracking. Can you feel the excitement building? (laughs) August 11th, they started through, I don't know this pronunciation, but it looks like it's the, the Wasatch Mountains. So they start through the Wasatch Mountains. This would entail them moving trees and other obstacles along the path. They were only making about two miles a day at this oh point. Oh, my gosh. And that's if they were lucky. They went eight miles in six days. So some days they didn't even average that. Then they discovered that some of their wagons were going to have to be abandoned because of damage. So they they couldn't repair what needed to be done. So it's like, okay, we're going to leave some of these, and you are going to have to spread out amongst the other wagons. As you can imagine, morale kind of dropped at this at this oh, time. yeah, definitely. And then the finger pointing and the blame started. First, it was to Hastings, Hastings for his pointing them in the wrong direction. And then it was to James Reed because he was the one that was all in favor. And guess what? He didn't listen to the guy mm-hmm. back at the fort. On August 25th, a gentleman by the name of Luke Holleran died of TB, and he became the second casualty. About the same time, fear started to set in because supplies were starting to run extremely low and time was definitely not on their side. They had only traveled about 36 miles the last 21 days. 
So August 30th, the group entered into the Great Salt Lake Desert. Now, according to Hastings, his book, I should say, this trek should take about two days. Cross the desert in two days. I don't guess he really planned on the fact that the sand was moist and deep in the desert, so the wagon got bogged down, severely slowing the progress. Well, I mean, that's what I was sitting here thinking. You're going to sink in the sand. It's got to be hard for the horses to pull a heavy wagon. You remember us at the beach last year just trying to pull the cooler? Yes. Through the sand? <laughs> this guy had no common sense to him at all. On the third day in the desert, some of the reeds' oxen ran away. But more importantly, they were almost out of water. Remember, this should have take, taken two days. They're already into the third day in the desert. They finally reached the end of this grueling desert after five days on September 4th. They rested at the base of the Pilot Peak, another mountain, for several days. On their 80-mile trek through the desert, they lost 32 oxen. Oh, my gosh. Reed had to abandon two of his wagons. And the Donners and the um, Kessenbergs, they lost a wagon each. They still had 600 miles to go to even be able to be in a situation to get food and water. Well, they, they had some water, but they could get water. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have any way of getting food for another 600 miles. And judging by what they had left, it did not look like they were going to make 600 miles before running out of food. I cannot even imagine that. As the snow started to cover the mountaintops, the group made it to the Humboldt River on September 26th. Knowing that their supplies were depleted, they sent two young men to Suter's Fort. And that's in California. And they said, hey, you go to Suter's Fort and go bring us back some supplies. Which was probably the smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. From September 10th to September 25th, the party followed the quote-unquote shortcut <laughs> until it reached the Humboldt River. And this was when the new trail met up with the old trail. The shortcut cost an extra 125 miles through strenuous mountain terrain and a desert. And remember, it was supposed to save them 350 to 400 miles on easy terrain. Mm -hmm. Instead, it took them through mountains, through snow, and through a desert. And they were extremely behind schedule. At this point, there was uh, pretty much a distaste and hate for Hastings and for Reed. Everybody was just ready there to eat each other's throats right now. Yeah, I'm sure. The Donner Party soon reached the junction with the California Trail, seven miles west of the El uh, Elko, Nevadas. They spent the next two weeks traveling along the Humboldt River. As the party's disillusionment increased, tempers started to flare. On October 5th at Iron Point, two wagons got tangled up. One of the Teamsters, a gentleman by the name of John Snyder, started whipping the oxen. James Reed got pissed off and told him to stop, but he wouldn't. So James Reed grabbed his knife, and he stabbed him in the stomach, killing him. Well, that escalated fast. <laughs> the Donner Party acted swiftly. Kessenberg wanted to hang Reed, but the rest of the group voted to just kick him out of the wagon train. So Reed's family stayed behind with the wagon train, but he was last seen riding off to the west with a man by the name of Walter Heron. The Donner Party carried on. 
but most of the oxen and the horses were exhausted. To spare the animals, anyone who could walk did. On October 7th, Kessenberg kicked out a Belgian man named Hardcoop. Now, he was an old man with very swollen feet, and he couldn't keep up. So Hardcoop, when he got kicked out of, of Kessenberg's wagon, he went to the other wagons knocking on their doors and begging to be taken in, but all refused. Aww. Unable to walk, exhausted, and his feet completely swollen to the point of constant pain, he was left there to die. Wow, that's awful to do somebody like that. It would only get worse from that point on. On October 12th, Paiute Indians killed 21 oxen with poison arrows. On October 16th, they reached present-day Reno, Nevada. Now, this is the gateway to the Sierra Nevada mountains. This is where the shoot is going to hit the pan. <laughs> See how I did? I just kind I of played it off. Anyway, at this point, they were almost completely out of food and supplies. Three days later, one of the men that they had sent to uh, Souter's Fort showed up with seven mules of beef and flour. He also brought with him two Indian guides and a clear but very difficult path to the Sierra Nevada mountains. The other gentleman had gotten ill, so he decided to stay back at the fort. The Donner Party camped for five days, 50 miles from the summit. This was to rest their oxen for a final push, or in this case, a pull. Yep. Ox, oxen weren't really pushing anything. I'm sure they weren't. But it turns out this was a huge mistake. They should have just kept going instead of taking a rest. Ugh. On October 28th, James Reed arrived at Souter's Fort. Now, he met up with William McCutcheon, who was the man that originally had shipped up there with the other guy to get supplies, but was sick and stayed behind. Okay. So he hooks up with him. He was now well, and he said that, that he would go with Reed back to try to hook up with the family. So even though Reed got kicked out and made it to the fort, he's going back for his family. Well, he don't care good. what they did. Well, good. That's what he should do. The wagon train is continuing to the base of the summit and an axle broke on George Donner's wagon, causing him to fall behind the rest of the party. 22 people, the Donner family, the hired men that they had with them, and the kids stayed behind while the wagon was being repaired. But during this time, a chisel actually slipped, cutting Donner's hand very badly causing the group to fall even farther behind. The rest of the group headed to what is now known as Donner Lake. The snow started falling. Stanton and the two Indian guys kind of traveled ahead. They made it to the summit, but that's as far as they could go. So they turned around to kind of retrace their steps, but by now five feet of brand new snow had already fallen. And they're so, just having no luck at all, are they? Yeah. The wagon train wanted to make it to the Sierra Pass that was only 12 miles away, but they couldn't, and they retreated to the eastern end of the lake. They thought this was the best place to go because there was a lot of level level ground and there was a lot of timber and wood mm -hmm. there that they could use. On this part of the lake where they decided to kind of set up camp, there was a cabin already on the premises. And now that they realized that they were stuck, they quickly built two more cabins. How about that? I can't imagine it's like a fully, it's probably just, yeah, just as basic as they possibly mm -hmm. can. But this was enough to shelter 59 people. And at the hopes that the snow would hurry up and, and be, you know, done and melt, and then they could be on their way. The 22 members of the Donner Party that were six miles back hastily built three shelters from tents, 
quilts, buffalo robes, and brush to protect them from the harsh elements. But I mean, think about that. It's freezing cold. You got snow falling everywhere, five, six, seven feet of snow. And all you got really to keep warm is some buffalo robes and some mm-hmm. brush. And I mean, I can't imagine. No, you don't have to be uh, cuddling buddies. Right. At the lake, they made two more tries to cut through the pass. But there was now 20 foot of snow. So that wasn't going to happen. Oh, my Lord. They knew they were snowbound for at least the winter. They built more cabins. Most shared, you know, families kind of shared one cabin yeah. just to try to, to get by with as little as possible. The weather just got worse, and the remaining win, men and women knew that they were going to have to spend the next four months in the cabins and the tents. If you remember, Reed and McCutcheon had started to head back to try to rescue their families, but due to the inclement weather, they only made it for two days, and they had to return back to Suter's Fort, hoping to recruit some more men that actually would and get some supplies that would actually head out now that they knew what they were up against and go help. Unfortunately, all the able-bodied men were away fighting in the Mexican War. So there weren't anybody there. Dang. I said there weren't. There wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> they were not going to be able to make any rescue attempts anytime soon. So they figured they had enough beef, you know, talking about the Donner family, they knew mm-hmm. they had all those oxen and, and uh, horses and stuff. They said, well, you know, they got enough beef to last them for several months yeah well <laughs> this wouldn't take into consideration that the they lost all those ones in the desert and that the uh the indians had killed 21 of them you know with the poison arrows they didn't know that because he was already gone at that point mm-hmm. when, the, when, when the indians attacked so they were off on their thinking on thanksgiving day it began to snow again and the party had to kill their very last ox for food on November 29th. That they, was it? That's all I had? That's it. Well, they had some uh, some other animals, too. We'll get into that, though. Five feet of snow fell the next day. What in the world? They knew they weren't leaving anytime soon. Many of the animals, including the mules that the uh, gentleman had brought back with him with the supplies, they wandered off into the storm, and their bodies were lost under the snow, so they couldn't even find them to eat them. A few days later, the last few heads of cattle that they had brought with them had to be slaughtered. I don't know why they wouldn't have killed those first before they killed the oxen. Well, that you, need yeah, the, that, you need the ox to, to pull. Yeah. To pull. Anyway, I don't I, know. Why don't they just make some snow cream? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not very nutritious. And they probably didn't have vanilla. Oh, no. That they makes had a difference. Snow. So the party began to boil hides. Ugh. They ate twigs, bones, and bark. This is what they were trying to resort to for food. A few men tried to do some hunting, but they had no luck. How the heck do you eat bones? I don't know. Ask dogs. On December 15th, Ballas Williams died of malnutrition. So the group realized that something had to be done pretty quick or they were all going to die of the same fate. So the next day, nine men and five women and a child strapped on some snowshoes, and they started for the summit of the mountain. They were determined to make it 100 miles to Suter's Fort. This was not going to be easy, as you can imagine. They were already weak from hunger and had very little food to take with them. On the sixth day, they ran out of food. The next three days, they traveled through high winds and freezing weather. 
Charles Stanton, exhausted, couldn't keep up, and he told the rest to go on without him. He never rejoined the group. Oh. Why would they take a baby or a child on that journey? I don't know. I mean, it could have been like a 16-year-old or something. Oh. Well, yeah, I guess. A few days later, the party was caught in a blizzard and had trouble keeping a fire lit. Antonio, Patrick Dolman, Franklin Graves, and Lemuel Murphy soon died. And in desperation, the others resorted to cannibalism. Never. Mm-mm. Nope. Living off the bodies that died along the path to Suter's Fort, only seven survivors made it to the other side of the mountain on January 19, 1847. Only two of the men survived, but all five women survived. Of, of the eight people that died along the way, seven were cannibalized. Messages were soon dispatched to neighboring settlements to assemble some rescue parties. On the 5th and the 7th, the first two relief parties headed out to try to find them. The second was headed by James Reed. On February 19th, the first party reached the lake, and they thought the camp was deserted until they saw a woman. Come to find out, 12 members of the party were dead, and 48 remained, many of whom were barely clinging to life or who, or who had gone insane already. But the nightmare was not over by far, even though they've now had parties reach them. Not everyone could be taken out at one time. Since none of the pack animals were brought in, because mm-hmm. they weren't sure where to find them at, they didn't bring any pack animals in, and they brought in very little food or supplies. Was well, that kind of stupid? Well, I mean, I guess so. I guess I figured they'd just grab them and take them back. I, yeah, they, they should have brought food and supplies. So the first group took 23 with them, but two children died along the way back to Suter's Fort. Mm-hmm. On the way back to the fort, the first party and the second party that was uh, headed up by Reed actually met. You know, one was going up, one's going mm-hmm. down. They met together, and, and James Reed was actually reunited with his family for the first time in five months. Wow. He's lucky. On March 1st, the second party arrived at the lake, and what they found was grisly evidence of cannibalism. On March 3rd, Reed left with 17 starving people, but two days later, they were caught in another blizzard. Isaac Donner died during the blizzard, and most of the others were too weak to even travel. Reed and another rescuer, Hiram Miller, took three of the people with them, hoping to find food that they had stored on their way up. So someone, I guess they stored food on the way up, mm-hmm. knowing it was still going to be good. But So the rest stayed behind on what would become known as Starved Camp. On March 12th, a third group, led by William Eady and William Foster, arrived at Starved Camp, where Miss Graves and her son, Frank, had also died. The three bodies, those two and Isaac Donner, had been cannibalized. I mean, do they just eat them raw, or do they cook I, I them? Guess they, I guess it depends. Oh, that's my what, gosh. If they can start, get a fire started. The next day, they made it to the lake, only to find that both of their sons had died. On March 14th, they made it to Alder Lake to find George Donner dying from infection in his hand that he had badly cut Oh, yeah, they had that right. Mm-hmm. George's wife was actually in pretty good health, comparatively speaking, and she refused to leave George. He had sent his three daughters ahead without her. The rescue party took everybody with them that was well enough to travel, but they left two men behind to take care of the Donners. 
but they soon abandoned them to try to catch up with the rest of the rescue party. So, hey, we'll, we'll stay behind. Uh, psych, we're leaving. <laughs> the fourth rescue party set out in late March, but were stranded in a snowstorm for several days. On April 17th, they reached the camps only to find Louis Kiesberg alive, but surrounded by the mutilated remains of his former companions. Oh, I cannot even imagine that. Kiesberg was the last member of the Donmark party to actually arrive at Souter's Fort on April 29th. It took two months and four rescue crews to rescue the entire surviving Donner party. In the Donner party tragedy, two-thirds of the men died, while two-thirds of the women and children survived. It's because we were tough. 41 people died, 46 survived. In the end, five died before reaching the mountain, 35 at the mountain's camps or trying to cross the mountains, and one died after reaching the valley. Many who survived lost toes due to frostbite. News of the Donner Party tragedy spread across the country. Some blamed Lansford Hastings. Some blamed Reed for Reed not listening to Kleiman when he told him not to go to the pass. After the publicity of the Donner Party tragedy, migration to California fell off sharply and Hastings' shortcut was all but abandoned. But in January of 1948, gold was discovered and the rush out west was on again. By late 1849, more than 100,000 people had come to California in search of gold near the streams and the canyons where the Donner Party had suffered. Donner Lake, named for the party, today is a very popular mountain resort. The Donner Camp has been designated a National Historic Landmark. There you go. Well, I mean, I I just, it's really sad that they wanted to do this all because of the lady with, you know, tuberculosis. Um, And, you know, I'm saying, and now all of Well, she had migraines. Huh? She had migraines. Her mother had tuberculosis. Well, yeah, that's what what I meant. And then, you know, all those people had to die. That's just... But they all died because they took that shortcut. I know. It's just (laughs) mind-blowing what they had to go through it's just horrible i just can't even imagine it at all and then to get eaten well the part that strikes me and and we don't we weren't there so we don't know true i don't know if this had been something that had been discussed in the camps but you figure you've got three different camps you got the one that donner was at that was like six miles back at the other lake all so he was camped out there with 22 people and then you had the the people at Donner Lake, and then you had the people that were out on the trip trying to. Mm-hmm. Be, but in all three cases, there was cannibalism cannibalism going on. So it's like, how did that just randomly happen at all three people? Is that just the mentality to survive? I mean, it has or is to be. it something that had been discussed where it was implanted in people's mind oh, that so, well, if yeah. this happens, if we run out of food, we can eat each other. Yeah, I don't know. That is. Well, I mean, I don't. Who has a conversation like that? Well, but I mean, I know that the people who survived might have even discussed what had happened. My guess is this is something that happened. I wonder who took the first bite and what they said if they started eating. I don't know. But I mean, it's happened before, like in that movie Survive, that with the uh, the soccer team. Oh, yeah. Or the rugby team. I think it was a rugby team that had landed in the mountains and they, they basically had taken strips. And dried it out and just carried it with them. And they just ate a little bits at a time like beef jerky until they made it. So they didn't like pick up like a leg and just start munching <sighs> on it. They cut it into strips. How and... do you live? I, I 
don't even know if I could live with that, knowing that I did that. I just don't think I could. But in their case, it was just people that were killed in a plane crash, so you just did what you did, but... I know, but I don't And know. I think they were even just doing, if I remember correctly, the story, they were making sure that they were taking little bits off of each person so to not, like, totally mutilate a body. And it was like, they wanted to make sure that there was as much left for family members or something as possible. Well, you know, I know people say you do what you have to do to survive, but I'm telling you, I don't think I could do that. I just don't. Mm. I'd just rather eat a, a tree limb I don't know if that's perfectly good for you either. Probably not. Probably tears your insides out. I mean, other animals can cannibalize their own. That's why they're called animals. That's true. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. I think oh, that's yummy. a very cool story. <laughs> Let's go make dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. posted. Somebody had posted something the other day about, I don't know, but I... It, I made a comment about well, Jeffrey Dahmer said it's not just a uh, it's not just a male, it's a meal. <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, he's a psycho. Uh, he's dead. So. Well, he's a dead psycho. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> Bye.